the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll on. Here we are today, going to lead off with you with an unabashed defense of American agriculture. It's, it's in my, it's in my blood. It's in all around. A tingle up my leg right here as we roll along on your other side of Texas. Lots to get into today. Texas retired teachers going to hear about the commitments that we've made. Maybe the commitments that we are not upholding. Going to have uh, some folks from Texas retired teachers in with us on the program. And some talk about the Texas Tech Board of Regents and uh, what may be going on there uh, listeners this program know that this is the place the place to go for any thank you for that this is the place for all your regent gate activity but for now what we want to do is go into a Friday edition of the program. Glad that you're tuned in and that you are hanging out with me, your host, Jay West Texas Leeson, on the other side of Texas. We're broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across Hub City for the best wash around. Guaranteed. That's it, uh, racerwash.com, where you can find your most convenient location. So a farm bill passed the House. It's now, it came from the Senate to the House, and now it's on the president's desk. And I think the president would be a fool not to sign it, given the places in America from which the president was elected, places that rely on a reliable farm bill. Um, Mike Conway put up a tweet, at least um, House Agriculture Committee vis-a-vis Mike Conway put up a tweet. I'm going to play for you the audio here. And as you listen to it, I'm not crying, you're crying. But I want to play for you what exactly. to have it all done he's now, talking about. about. To have it signed by the president. Could not be more excite, excited or ecstatic about it. It is a big deal for rural America, a really big deal. There's no piece of federal legislation that affects the psyche of rural America more than the Farm Bill. For us to pass this and give them five years of assurance as to what that safety net's going to look like, what the conservation titles are going to do, where they're going to get help on trade, and, and all those things across the board is a big deal and a good Christmas present for each and every person in, in rural America. And that's who I've been fighting for. It's a clear statement that uh, the, from the administration, through the executive branch, through the legislative branch, that we support the folks in rural America. You really can't lay claim to being a chairman of House Ag unless you've done a farm bill. For me personally, it's a, a sense of accomplishment. Getting it done uh, now means that I'm in that uh, proud group of chairmen who've gotten the farm bill done on their watch. Now, it breaks into another portion of the video. Now, for those of you who may not know Mike Conaway, elected out of the Texas House District uh, 11, out of Midland, and 
what you cannot hear, I want you to listen closely for those of you who are listening live who've not seen me tweet this at Jay Leeson. I want you to hear the voice cracking, and you cannot see on air through audio what the tears that are shed, the cracking up that goes behind uh, what is to follow here. Yeah, I've been on the FAG committee now for 14 years and have come to know and love the people I get to represent. Just not only folks in District 11, but across this country. There's um, some of the hardest working, decent, honest people uh, in America uh, make their living uh, trying to feed us, trying to clothe us, trying to make sure that uh, rural America continues to prosper. It's been a great four years. Yeah, and again, what you can't see there is him cracking up. Um, And not cracking up as though he's laughing. Let me be clear. He's uh, trying not to show you how emotional the issue makes him. So I want to hit off with an unabashed defense of agriculture. Lots of people call me, yours truly, a moderate on economic policy and it's because I see the nuances how do I see the nuances I see them because I know them and I know them all too well I talk about place a lot on this program and whenever people ask me where I'm from I'll tell them Abernathy Abernathy Texas just north of Lubbock but whenever I really talk with people with whom I'm close, I tell them I'm from in between Abernathy and Hill Center. And a little place that's not even technically a town. It's called Mayfield. I was born into a home. Born at the Hill Center Hospital. And born there and then brought home to a place that was just off of uh, Texas Farm Market Road 179, 179, 179, in between Abernathy Hill Center, closer to Hill Center, and that was in 1979, and it was at that point in time in which my father was planning to, and eventually did, jump into cotton farming. And that was in the early 80s. Anybody familiar with agriculture who is listening right now knows that there could be no worse time for someone to jump into cotton farming to running their own operation than in the early 80s. It rained one year. It rained twice as much the next year, and it rained twice as much the next year. And whenever you've got the overhead that you need to be running your bowl pullers, your tractors, your expenses for getting the crop out, and, and even the crop itself, the seed, you've got all sorts of overhead in a bad place to be. Because, and I'll cite Williams Jenning, William Jennings Bryan here, burn down your cities and leave our farms, and your cities will spring up again as if by magic, but destroy our farms And the grass will grow up in streets of every city in this country. American agriculture, and I wrote this for Breitbart, Texas, American agriculture is a perpetual crisis of farmers and ranchers fighting against forces too big to fight alone. Uh, 
high foreign subsidies, tariffs, and non-trade tariff barriers, trade cheating abroad, the EPA overreaches at home, the boll weevil, and the freight liners 100 years ago, the sugar aphid, careless weed, and fringe political action committees today. Sometimes there are two or three fights simultaneously in the midst of a hurricane, drought, or blizzard. But American agriculture's greatest crisis may be that the country is seldom aware of these crises in rural America. It was very seldom aware of these crises, crises, excuse me, crises in the early 80s. You got interest rates where they are there, not pointing fingers. There are a whole, again, farmers fight fights too big to fight alone. The result of this was a bankruptcy in my own home. I'm asked a lot of times, why do you spend so much time? Are you running for office? Is that way you go out there and you talk about farm? No. The answer is no. Why do you talk about, why do you speak on farmers' behalf like you do? Because I know what it is to be in diapers, to grow up, and to have everything disappear, to have everything change because of farmers' fights and fights too big to fight alone. That's why. My father, during that time, just starting out, filed bankruptcy. So whenever I see Mike Conaway cry in that video, um, it's hard for me not to choke up as well because I know firsthand what that battle can be like and what the battle's like when you lose. And it shaped and it defined my childhood. Now, were there some other issues out for which my family, my father was responsible? Yes. But does it change the dynamic of American agriculture that you're that you're fighting fights too big to fight alone? No. It's not it's unlike any other trade practice in this country, farming. Because you're up against all sorts of variables that no other industry point to me another industry that that fights these fights, whether that be blizzards or that be hail or that be rain and then that be international disruption Uh, you can't point to me that and that's my interest in American agriculture and specifically in the biggest cotton patch in the world in West Texas and for some of you who have been listening to the program for some time this may provide some context for why I spend the sort of time and attention that I do on this particular issue. And it all just goes back to this. <clears throat> I would hope that somebody who had a microphone 40 years ago, whenever I was just just a toddler, would have taken up the same microphone to advocate for young farmers farmers like my father and that they would have spoken towards their interest and that's my interest in speaking on behalf of farmers because I've seen firsthand what 
that can do to a family, what that can do to a person. And it is a game in which the toughest of the toughest, our finest, get ingratiated. And it is a game in which uh, those families need American support in order for America to provide what it needs for Americans. And that is with food, fiber, and we could even go into the fuel discussion there. But that's just Jay West Texas Leeson. That's my perspective, and that's why I'll never miss a beat. Some people get down on me because I'm not, I'm not far enough right on economic policy, but guess what? Far enough right on economic policy is too simplistic. I've seen what too much nuance can do, and... I want the best for every industry, and that begins with farmers. And that is my unabashed defense of American farmers. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to get into Texas Tech Board of Regents, and then we're going to get into teachers, retired teachers, as we go along in the program. Stick right where you are right here. Some text to get into as well quickie break and be right back with right here on your other side I saw saw miles miles of Texas all the stars up in the sky I saw miles and miles of Texas gonna live here till I die folks this morning I was on air with Wade Wilkes. He's got a good radio program here, listened to locally in Lubbock, and uh, went on his show and talked about alcohol sales. It's a wide spectrum of things. Alcohol sales, uh, beer and wine being sold at Texas Tech football games, as well as what about open container? We did some follow-up on that. Is it possible that people walking around with open containers could be arrested? And if so, why are they not? Uh, But more importantly, got into the Texas Tech Board of Regents and Rick Francis, who's up for reappointment. Will Rick Francis, who was the A public enemy number one on the vet school, uh, Rick Francis stepping down in large part to this program. And whenever I say that, I've got my hands over my chest. Thanks to you for reading what you read and taking action on what you read. Uh, Rick Francis stepping down as chairman of the board, but he still is up for reappointment. And even if he's not reappointed, Rick Francis could just not be replaced and then sit in the saddle again for two years. How does that make you feel? What do you got? That's a pretty difficult place for some people to be. We get into that and more with Wade Wilkes this morning. I want to play that audio for you now. Welcome back into the Wade Wilkes Show right here on AM 580. Colonel Dave Lewis, Jay West Texas Leeson. Hey there, howdy. Outraged Jim Stewart. Got the full crew. 
If you want the world's problems solved, this would be the time to call in. That's right. right. We know it all. We've got the brain trust here, and we're good for about 17 minutes. So <laughs> that's good. Because we're not drinking yet. So that's, uh, well, we have the good doctor coming in here in about 20 minutes. That's why I like afternoon drive. You can have a nip on the show. <laughs> no. Be all good with that it, right? That never happens. Oh, open I'm, container I'm allowed in AM580 studios. Come on. No, we just actually, uh, Jay, welcome to the program. Uh, you heard me talking in the first hour and said, I'm going to find out about that because we don't know no. when it was allowed uh, formally mm-hmm. about when open container was not, was okay. And At the tech parking lot. got blessed mm-hmm. by the tech officials of when it was uh, allowed. And yep. Jim Stewart's shooting in the dark as usual, no, saying, oh, I think it was a, back in the covered wagon. Day. I don't think it's ever changed. They opened up their own. <laughs> Restaurant over there where they sell beer, and yes, <laughs> you have to go in there and buy this. I don't think it's ever changed. Need an AM five eighty staff counselor. <laughs> Wait, you need how to do, calm down. How do you feel about that, Jay? <laughs> <laughs> we got yeah, so I sat out in the truck and made calls and tried to uh, figure out. We just had Chris Cook call me back and. Right. Chris is going to look good, it up yeah. and, call, and, and let, you, let you know. And Chris then you is a good man. When, when open containers. Yeah. Chris Cook Where and I uh, shared a microphone for years uh, during the Mike Leach era. Yeah. And uh, he would come out every Wednesday morning. And I'll never forget one show. He Chris Cook was sitting over there against that wall. And Mike was on this uh, microphone, which is the one Jay's on. And so I'm talking to Coach Leach. And I said, well, Coach, I said, let's talk a little tech football. So we started getting into that. And he's. Mike Leach doing his typical thing. And I said, well, what, on the defensive side of the ball, Coach, we've got XYZ rattled off a couple of players, and Coach Leach looks around, and Chris Cook goes to scrambling and writing some stuff down on a piece of paper and hands it to Coach Leach. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah right here, Wade. Uh, yeah, we've got da 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 <laughs> He was surprised he didn't say, we have a defense? <laughs> <laughs> when did we have that? Not much of a defensive coach at the time, but he still won some games, not, did he not? Yes, he Filled did. some stadiums, too. We had, to win, we had to score 60 points, but we'd win those those babies. But that was hilarious. I just sat there and thought, really? Cook gives him the answer to the defensive questions. <laughs> nice guy, though, Chris mm-hmm. Cook is. A cool is cat. So hopefully he'll give you that call back here pretty quick on the open container thing. I, it just kind of maybe it's just an unwritten word that it's all right now, to do. Can you imagine on the alcohol front, you know, whenever Lubbock, as Glenn Robertson so famously said, Lubbock talked dry and drank wet for 80 years. Um can you imagine about that time, about that transition from the 80s and 90s, Gerald Myers putting up, Bockrath, whoever was around then, putting up a uh, proposition to the Board of Regents that we want to sell beer in the stadium. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. never happened. That never happened. <laughs> well, did you attend the Regents meeting yet? Were you there? I watched some of it yesterday. Okay, so yeah. were you surprised? Did you know that was coming? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, about it's the on the al- schedule. It was on the oh, schedule. Oh, yeah, about the alcohol there's, there's agenda. Items, well, what's your yeah. thoughts? Do you think it's okay? I mean, you I think it actually might mitigate drinking okay. rather than guys sitting in the parking lot hammering Jim Beam <laughs> but saying, hey, i got to keep a buzz through the third quarter, so I better drink about 10 ounces of Jim Beam right now. And then, like, falling over yeah. <laughs> and having DPS come in. And maybe they'll just drink, like, a beer a quarter. 
Well, it, it, it's possible. So pacing uh, yourself is the key, is what you're saying. Well, I'm, I think that they'll be given the opportunity to pace, <laughs> to pace themselves. themselves. No. Well, you know they're so going to limit when you go up to buy a beer. You probably only buy one at a time, maybe two at the most. They're not going to let you buy six packs. They'll buy, I, I bet two. you they'll let you buy two at a time. Two maybe at the most and, uh, is what I'm saying. It's but will they know. sell liquor? I'm not clear on that. No, no just wine, wine and beer. Wine beer and wine. wine. Because you can buy liquor at the basketball games. Not at the concession stand, but in that little bar area that they have. But really, yeah, I didn't know I that. I didn't know that. I hadn't been. I think I did. You think? Well, you, you probably, <laughs> I can't uh, remember oh, exactly. Oh, 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 or it might have been a dude through. named Slick that was selling oh, it. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> our bootlegger, whenever I was growing up in Abernathy, uh, the don't bootlegger call, was. Don't call uh, his name. Everybody know him. <laughs> no, everybody knows him. Shady. You just go see Shady. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what we call them. But I thought it was interesting yesterday. Let's get into some big boy talk. Interesting that the the hullabaloo has been, and I use that word intentionally to bring A&M into this. Um, Here we go again. Whether or not Rick Francis would just drop off, not come to another regent meeting. Um, Speculating that he wouldn't be reappointed, perhaps. Yes. That's another term. And, and yeah. that if he did show up, then he has – there are a lot of people in El Paso who are very interested in Rick Francis being reappointed. And a few of those are names like Woody Hunt, uh, Hunt Industries. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've got Bill Sanders, Beto O'Rourke's father-in-law. I mean, you were talking about some very, very wealthy, powerful individuals who have given a lot of money to Greg Abbott. So it begins to set up a situation of, and this is a column I'm going to write, Greg Abbott's Rick Francis problem. And <laughs> oh where, how, how did he get reelected? Mm-hmm. How did Abbott get reelected? How did Dan Patrick, more specifically Patrick and Paxton, these statewide Republicans, they got elected up here is where they got elected. That's true. They didn't get elected out of El Paso. Cruz did as well. Mm-hmm. Cruz, well, if it hadn't been for you, West Texas. Again, if you've got to pick between Amarillo and El Paso, I think politically I know where to pick if you want to run for re-election. Right? Yeah, and he, yeah. he's not up for some time, but for another four years. But it's your money, which has been a mantra for Greg Abbott and the way he's led the state with his war chest. He never has shut down his campaign. It's kept on going. Been it's smart. always going. He's raised more money than anybody ever in this state. But now he's got money versus votes on the line here and a lot of people I can't think of a more bipartisan issue right now other than the outrage of the ousting of Bob Duncan than this vet school. People who've never even laid hands on livestock are all for a vet school. You know Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative everybody wants a vet school. Most everybody. I mean there's an outlier. There are the vets who don't want a vet school. Um, But that's really going to be a dilemma for Greg Abbott in that these districts up here that voted so heavily for him, these Senate districts and these House districts, uh, State House districts, uh, are expecting a vet school. No and doubt about those it. Those guys down there know that, for for listeners... But Tech's the, already on board. They're, they're going forward with the, the yeah. Duncan model and but, everything. And But John Sharp is not on board. No. <laughs> and the Chancellor of Texas A&M. And the whole... People ask me what was what was Regent Gate all about? It was about A and M making clear to El Paso in the aforementioned names that if you go forward with this vet school, then we're going to nix your dental school. 
That's right. That's what we're going to take. So that was really the politics behind what was going on. And so that offer is still on the table. That threat, I should say, is still on the table. And And don't think John Sharp doesn't well a big stick. Yeah, and that was so interesting because on Tuesday we had Lawrence Skubinet come out Mm -hmm. with the aforementioned Chris Cook. And um, uh, President Skubinet, I asked him about the coaches' search, if he wanted to do that every year. Every year or so, and he said, "Well, it wasn't really that bad." And a lot of kudos to Kirby. And I thought, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was bad," um, with all the politics that were involved in that thing. But in the donor politics, but we got into the vet school, and he said that that's been much more involved. Uh, the vet school, if folks didn't listen to that. It's it's up on the podcast. But he also made it clear that this is a hill that John Sharp wants to die on in so many words and that's really the intriguing thing for me is somebody who's as accomplished as John Sharp Mm -hmm. and there may not be a more accomplished Texas politician or throughout the duration of different offices that they've served in other than Kent Hans Um, but for Sharp to make this the hill to die on is just intriguing to me given, given the resume of his work <clears throat> that he's already put for. I, I don't understand. I do. It's because A&M wants to be known uh, throughout the state as the only place that you can go and get in a veterinarian degree. And, again, they, I go back to my alma mater at West Texas A&M. They've thrown about $33 million up that way to get a vet school going. And, uh, well, and, I think and, probably and, whenever you count all the money, you probably got 110 tangential well, to, to West Texas A&M. The, well, it's West Texas, an undergrad vet program. That's right. And not a vet school. But, but they're opening with it up. ag facility. That's that right. Got, right. I mean, they've gone really. They're making moves. You've got, of course, I understand, but even that, for Sharp to make it that kind of issue, I guess it is the hill that he wants to die on, but. Even you probably have the best perspective on this, Wade, since 92, since West Texas came into the A&M system. 1990, yeah. I mean, you talk about Disneyland dad, you know, absent, oh, absent, and then come in and give the oh, kids yeah, everything. Oh, yeah, we, we now, forgot. Now, now they're in Disneyland. Our satellite <laughs> school to the north out there. They don't even view people. Let's go pour $100 million into that thing right now. Well, let's just be, <laughs> let's just be completely frank here. I mean, even Texas itself. If you live in that I-35 corridor, you think Amarillo, Lubbock, Midland, Odessa, that, that's not even part of our state. We like the revenue, but we don't give a blank about y'all out there until something like this occurs. Food and then and it's a big and oil's good. That's but, right. But I but noticed Apple's not coming here to Lubbock. so. Uh, but they don't care about us until exactly something right. like this comes along, and then all of a sudden they get all rattled, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, well, you didn't even pay attention to us, and I'm talking about my school. Now, but they, you didn't even pay attention to us until something like this happens, and then all of a sudden, oh, we've got to interject some money up there at Canyon. Yeah, and that's and that's why I wrote in the Dallas Morning News that they needed to name one of those buildings after Bob Duncan on the West <laughs> Texas campus. They need to. I mean, it's <laughs> to be that's how they got it. I mean, that's the right. school's been doing fine. I mean, I keep tabs on it, obviously, and I was a proud KA up there, and I was very involved, and still am to a certain extent, and. The school has been doing not anything like Texas Tech. I mean, again, at one time, I mean, West Texas State was West Texas State then. But, again, it's 15 years older than Texas Tech. It's well established that they just didn't, 
have the foresight to really, you know, the Texas Tech, the te- that deal really was because of Lubbock leadership that got Tech going. They didn't have any, and they still really don't. They didn't have really any hardcore leadership in the Amarillo area because Amarillo's attitude is, well, that's Canyon. That's not part of us. Mm-hmm. We're Amarillo. And that's all. that's been a running problem for yeah, them down for up there. For those two campuses to be 15 miles apart for all these new vet-related yeah. undergrad programs at WT and then for a large animal vet school in Amarillo 15 miles away, I mean, it literally is 15 miles away from one another. Mm-hmm. You know, 10-minute jaunt. That's right, right up the Canyon Expressway uh, into Amarillo. I think that just like a partnership should have been started between Tech and WT some time ago, mm-hmm. there ought to be some demand. And I know that Duncan and Kel Seliger wanted that deal. They, well, wanted, I tell you, I they tell you. wanted to work out a deal years ago mm-hmm. where there would be a partnership between Tech and A&M on that, but Sharp even then wasn't having it. Well, Tech did not have the stature of the clout that it has now. We didn't even, by the way, Texas Tech didn't even have a chancellor in place. We weren't even selling beer at games, That's kids. right. That's how far behind we are. <laughs> but it was really, it, I'll tell you where Tech made a mistake, and they've made a lot. But Daddy, here, was that before you but, started drinking but beer tech, at the game? Tech made, a, <laughs> tech made a major, major mistake. When they didn't make a run at West Texas State in 1989 or 90, when I was there, they should have Texas Tech should have run up there and grabbed that school and said, "No, nah, we're we're going to let y'all be a part of the Texas Tech University system." They didn't do that. I, I don't think they the don't vision have, was in place at that point. They didn't. Right. They didn't have understand. the to do it. Well, they didn't understand the vision of being able to bring those campuses together and do some other things. We finally figured it out with Angelo State, for yeah. example. But, but it doesn't make any. Does it make any sense at all? No, it makes no West sense Texas, whatsoever that West Texas A and M reports basically to a campus on the station. all other side of the state. Yeah, <laughs> they should be part of the Texas Tech University system. Nine, ten hours. Away. I wonder what it would take for Tech Actually, to buy. It's not buy bad them out. if you're running West Texas nine or ten hours How about away from Texas your boss? Tech buying out Never West happened. Texas A and M. I wonder if that would ever happen. But John Sharp, uh, I. I Repeat this because it comes from people who know. John Sharp really <laughs> believes that by the end of his tenure at A&M, Texas Tech will be in the A&M, A&M system. system. He really cool. believes that. That, wow. he, that that A&M is going to be so big and powerful, they're going to take Tech out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you watch the way... Texas, Texas A&M University. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't even go there. I don't know what Texas it would, Agricultural what it and Technical College. How would that work? If you watch events like they just had a big ag summit at A and M, I mean, they are making real strides to say, hey, if you're interested in rural, you got to look at A and M. Like we 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 are the agriculture. I, I've got a lot of friends that reinforce that exact saying, that exact thought right now that. Uh, East Coast uh, guys that are inventing things, and they're coming to Texas A&M to try to prove it in the ag world. And uh, looked at him and said, "Hey, come think about us here at Texas Tech." Yeah, I wonder what that buyout. Well, I wonder what that buyout would look like. I mean, is it even feasible that Texas A&M could take out Texas Tech, absorb them like they did West Texas A&M? I don't know. A lot of maroon ties down there. Well, no, but there but are a lot of orange ties. There's a lot of orange ties. And right, say, uh-uh. this is the time when I want to do a nose count in the legislature, who wears what color tie. This is a really interesting time for who wears what color tie out there. And I think uh, uh, A&M... Uh, Pan Amer- or Texas Pan American has about as many uh, people sitting in the legislature as anybody. We have seven in the House. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, that's, that's all. That's, but that's not. I know that's not many. I, I, that's a few, few and up. far between. <laughs> right. Uh, good morning. Welcome to the show. Wow, that is a frightening thought. Thanks, Jay, for bringing that one. Yeah, up. I, 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 <laughs> man, that's crazy, huh? Yeah, in a state this big, we don't, we'd only have. You know what? I don't care what you say. I think the the you know at the point A and M is really in the SEC, and isn't even really a part of Texas as far as you know sports and athletics goes anymore. I, I don't know why we're so worried about them, but I will say that the one thing we do miss is just the exponential amount of population density further south. I mean, we're sitting out here on an island by and large, so that's a frightening thought. But what I wanted to ask you, Jay, and I'm going to hang up and listen to your answer out there, mm. what are the possibilities of Tech doing a dental school in El Paso and Tech doing a vet school up in uh, Canyon? I mean, and, and could we incorporate San Angelo in any way in that? Equation. I mean, why can't why can't Tech do both? Do you're saying do both schools? Yeah, it's why not? Proposed now. Yeah. I mean, good lord, they they they're willing to charge him fourteen dollars a cup for soda pop at the games. I mean, come on. Yeah, boy, we've so got to we've got to here be. <laughs> yeah, right. We've we've <laughs> got away a, from a Benjamin. <laughs> get out your Benjamins for a for a beer, right? We've already got a strong presence in El Paso with the medical school, so. I mean, why couldn't we do the dental school? Yeah, well, El Paso will make the case <clears throat> that one of oh, the most one of the most needed areas for dentistry is in El Paso. Now, people can look at that and say, "Yeah, you know why? Because we can just go across the border and do it for about twenty percent of what it would cost in an American uh, on the American side." Um, well, I know at the legislative <laughs> level, we don't we don't have the class that we had with. Uh, Duncan down there, but uh, you know, as far as Frulo and those guys, I mean, what are the possibilities of Tech doing anything when the entire border region is loaded up with A&M grads? I mean, what, where, where's our say as a city? Wait, the A&M, you know, our, our board loaded up with A&M yeah, grads? Our, our yeah, our border regions. They're all oh, appointed right. by Perry, right? Oh, okay. Not grads, but appointed by Perry and Abbott. Yeah. Um, well, they're, well, they're not Tech grads, by and large. Yeah, they Am I are. Right? No, they're tech grads by and large. Um, I'd have to go back and look at my notes. I mean, that's in my Regent Gate I, file I, I now. Have, but I, I don't I believe there, your radio show. there there aren't any A and M grads on the Board of Regents. Um, oh, okay. But well, I, heard, I thought I heard that on your show when you're you know talking about the Duncan debacle. So well, I, I think that, that there was always the the Aggie Five is what they were referred to as the, the Ask Duncan Five. <laughs> <laughs> But El Paso is gonna El Paso is gonna make its effort uh, oh, and make no. its case for that dental school, and uh, I think that I think they do have a case for a dental school down that way, and I think the vet school has a case too. But now we're in the minutia, and you know Lawrence Skubinek was on the show on Tuesday, and he said that they were actively he and Ted Mitchell were flying out to meet members of the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board. We're all about to learn a lot about the... Le this is a great time to be doing radio, by the way, Wade, and talking about state politics because all of a sudden everybody's interested uh, so <laughs> yeah, far as right. the, the vet school, There's right? A lot of money going uh, on. But where this all goes to a head is with the Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board. They're going to take the vote. They're going to make the recommendation on the vote. Um, so that's a, I believe that's a nine-member board, and I just got in. I hadn't looked at it yet, but I just got in a... Uh, public information requests 
on everybody who sat in the chancellor's box over the last two years at Texas A&M games and everybody who's sat in uh, the Board of Regents, A&M Board of Regents box over the last two years. And we'll be able to sit down and just cross-reference how many times Texas Higher Education Coordinating Board members have been in those boxes. Wow. That, that'll be interesting. Because that's what up. Sharp is going to work. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. So I think it's perfectly feasible. I think it's also perfectly vexing because you've got double the interest on the board and one of the smartest guys in the world so far as uh, state politics is concerned working against you and John Sharp. Mm. That's the way I'd answer that question. Wow. All right, fellas. It's going to be interesting. Hey, thanks for the call. Uh, of course, Jay Leeson, you can always pick him up six or five to six Monday through Friday here on AM five eighty. What are you going to be talking about today? Uh, well, I got back in the Avalanche Journal. The reunion has been we've we've reunited. So I'm um, you'll find me in Sundays and <laughs> Sundays oh, in uh, the Avalanche Journal <laughs> and the Amarillo Globe News. We're running both and. The Texas didn't turn uh, purple, it turned Amarillo. <laughs> yeah, you can read more Amarillo uh, and, and Austin news in the Lubbock newspaper than you Well, read. I make the case in the Lubbock Avalanche Journal that the state turned Amarillo. If you look at the hardliners, the guys who empower Texans is a far-right group, and they try to influence elections, they put out scorecards. A little and right if, of Genghis Khan in their approach. <laughs> <but yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they... If you look at suburban counties, and this is the biggest, I think, political issue in Texas right now, is that suburban counties have laid off the far right and have turned in Democratic in 18. Oh, sure. Which really alleviates a lot of pressure on, like a Charles Perry, for instance, who gets pressured by these groups. But guess what? The better those people did on these groups' scorecards, the worse they fared in their election is a general rule in the general election. So guys that had like a hundred rating by Empower Texan, perfect rating, won their their races by two points. Now a Kel Seliger type guy in Tarrant County or a four price type guy in Tarrant County won by thirty, forty points. And that's interesting as you begin even down in Harris County, two of the lowest rated Republicans on these scorecards won in Harris County. And they are the only state representatives out of Republican state representatives out of Harris County now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever I say, no, not necessarily purple, but if voters respect and they have competent, able folks who vote their districts, then they did well. And yeah. I think that will continue to be the trend. Going forward in the future. All right, Jay, we appreciate that. Well, thanks for having have me. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. So uh, that's where we leave off with uh, the Wade Wilkes in the uh, the Wade Wilkes interview, as well as uh, what's going on with the Texas legislature, what you can expect going forward. Uh, we're going to get out on the break here, get with our friend Tim Lee, who's the executive director of the Texas Retired Teachers, and let you know what you need to know about your good old teacher who put in their time. Maybe his time. And uh, now it's getting hosed by Texas government. We're going to get in with that a little bit more as we roll along here on your Friday edition of Other Side of Texas. And on the line with us now, we have 
Tim Lee, who is the executive director for Texas Retired Teachers. Remember all those great teachers you had? What's happening with them now? We're going to get in with Tim Lee. Appreciate him making time to be on the program. Tim Lee, how are you? I'm great. Glad to be here. Thanks so much. Um, so, Tim Lee, give us a little understanding. Folks who don't pay much attention, what is the teacher's retirement system? And then let's go into what's wrong with it. Okay. So, teacher retirement system in Texas is like Social Security for our school teachers. Teachers in Texas, by and large, do not pay into the federal Social Security program. Uh, so we have uh, over a million school employees, and uh, 95% of the places where they work, they don't have Social Security. So this is their this is their base level retirement plan. Okay, so their base level. And what's happening with their base level, Tim? Are we not following through with our promises here as a state? Well, the state has made promises, uh, and by and large, Texas has done a much better job of living up to meeting those obligations. Uh, but, and then, you know, unfortunately, there is the big but here, and that is that we have to put more money into these, into these uh, pension plans, uh, into TRS specifically, uh, or the system will not be able to sustain those promises for future retirees. It's, it's sort of a kind of a double whammy because you have your current retirees that uh, do not have any cost of living adjustments. Uh, even our you know Social Security retirees out there get a little bit of an increase in their Social Security benefits every year. But Texas does not provide any increases in retirement benefits for retired school teachers in Texas. So. Uh, we have a, a a system that is relatively well-funded and very healthy, uh, but retirees' pension checks are staying the same. And if we don't fund our pension system better today, our current retirees will not see any increases. As a matter of fact, the report that came out today said it will be 87 years before the teacher retirement system will be in a position to give any re- current retiree, future retiree, a benefit increase of any kind. So. Uh, you know, that's not going to work for my current group of retirees. And my future retirees will get the situation. And knowing that, uh, you know, the money is not coming into the retirement system like it should, then it's going to put into, you know, the, the idea of them having retirement security is certainly, you know, in jeopardy. It's on the table. Yeah, but what does it mean then, Tim Lee, for because I've written about this and I've talked about it. What does it mean for why take the risk if you aren't going to be upheld on your end of the bargain? And what does it cost a place to not have people who are willing to go in knowing that the state's going to hold up to their end of the bargain? And I could, I could nauseate you with examples here. As I grew up in rural Abernathy, Texas, um, with examples of people who took the state at their word, what does it mean for for students today to have people looking at their future and saying, you know what, the state's not going to hold up their end of the bargain, so therefore I'm going to quit. Well, I mean, you know, the ramifications of not having a steady, well-paid uh, workforce of, of educators, I mean, that that is a poison pill for the state. If we don't have people that, you know, want to show up to work and, and work in our classrooms, you know, it's scratch that. If we have people showing up in the classroom to teach our kids, but 
they cannot afford, you know, to go to the doctor, afford their health care, or just afford to be in the profession. I talked to retirees, and, you know, my comment to folks is that being a teacher in Texas should not be the path to poverty uh, in your retirement years. So here's the bottom line. If I were a private employer and I had uh, to cover a person on my uh, pension and or Social Security benefits, whether it's a defined benefit or defined contribution, I, the employer, am putting in 6.2% of pay, which is the Social Security cost. And on average in this country, uh, we're putting in 3% as employers towards retirement savings for our workforce. So that's about a 9.2 to 9.5% average cost. The state of Texas is putting 6.8% as a combined state and school district contribution for our teacher workforce. To put that even to greater perspective, our active teachers are putting in 7.7% of their paycheck to cover the cost of retirement. So the teacher employee and the school employee is putting more towards their retirement security and their savings than their employer. And you know, at a minimum, I think the state needs to consider equalizing the amount of contribution between the employer and the employee, just like we have in Social Security, which would mean at least a 1% bump in how much the state and school districts may put towards the cost of our teachers. But the, the way that we're moving right now, uh, with the state of Texas putting in the lowest amount of, of retirement savings as a percentage of payroll compared to any other state in the nation, if I were in teaching profession, I would be very concerned that my employer, which is both the state and the school district, were going to work with me to make sure that when I retire someday, uh, I will not look back and say, I regretted ever being a teacher in Texas. And we do have Tim Lee on the line with us. He is executive director of teacher retirement uh, appreciate you making time here tim so you guys have put together uh, a press release tell us about the release that went out today and uh, what folks who are interested in this can do about it yeah so the so, so teacher retirement system i'm the executive director of the retired teachers association some people misunderstand you know the difference between trs and trta the teacher retirement system is a state agency, and they are prohibited by law from doing any advocacy on the behalf of educators. So my organization, which has existed since the 1950s, has worked with the legislature and other elected government officials to ensure this pension plan is safe and will be there for the future. And our press release today is talking about one of the studies that teacher retirement system uh, was commissioned by, required by the legislature to do, which is to determine whether or not the current retirement plan, which retirees have, uh, could be handled in a better or more cost-efficient way by moving them out of a traditional retirement plan, or what we call a defined benefit plan, to a more common uh, defined contribution plan, which our retirees uh, would just put money in a savings vehicle like a 403B or a 401K or some other kind of, of plan. The, the problem with this for us is that, number one, our teacher retirement system has existed for over 80 years, and it has a healthy savings already, uh, and so it would be inefficient for us to move the current workforce off of the existing plan and leave the current retirees uh, without the income 
from the from the active teachers helping pay down the unfunded liabilities, which is a whole other topic that we can get into if you want. Uh, but the other part of this is that again, with no Social Security in Texas, moving our current retiree or our current active teacher workforce into a privatized 401k style plan will leave them with you know no no retirement security really at all. And so our press release today was talking about the study the teacher retirement system did saying that the defined benefit plan is still the best plan for our teachers in Texas, uh, for our retirees in Texas, and that the legislature should increase its funding uh, in this coming session to ensure this plan is going to be solvent decades into the future. How much acrimony do your people hear? I mean, do you, whenever you've got your folks out and you got folks out in Lubbock and other places, do you feel like you get, uh, what's your reaction? Do you feel like you get a fair share? Do you feel like uh, you get a fair shake? Do you feel like you're, because I've got a text message. I don't know if I want to put you on the spot. And whenever I say, yeah. I don't know if I want to put you on the spot, I'm going to put you on the spot. A yeah, texter texting in saying, who has a better chance of getting past Matt Crow, who's a, a staffer for Representative Dustin Burroughs, a retired huh? teacher, or Jay Leeson? Well, uh, I know Dustin, and uh, I know he's he's pretty concerned about retired teachers. Uh, my guess is the that text if seems to say that he's not that Matt Crow would step in the way of both me and the retired teacher. Well, I, yeah, I, I don't know if it were if it were Dustin and he saw a retired teacher walking in his office. I can't imagine that Dustin would not say, "I know exactly what it is that's going on with your retirement system." Assuming that Matt uh, Crow's not there. Okay, <laughs> I don't. Maybe, maybe, but, um, you know, I'm going to just deal with the member himself. So okay. Justin is not going to turn a retiree away, uh, and he's going to say, I understand your pension plan. As a matter of fact, I've heard Justin talk on numerous occasions with things that were going on with both TRS pension and health care. Uh, I remember a bill that Justin filed a session ago saying, you know, disclose what the actual price of health care is to a person who is in a health care plan so that they are not guessing about what it's going to cost them. So he's, you know, I think he's concerned about what's going on. Uh, the bottom line is we have to have all of our legislators focused on this. And you said acrimony. Our members do not believe that the legislature has yet adequately addressed the concerns that we have moving forward with this pension plan. And I say that because we still have an unfunded liability. Uh, retired teachers health care still has uh, – 200 to 400 million dollar shortfall uh, and and there's no plan in place to provide current retirees with some financial assistance or cost of living rates now you know I believe every legislature is is going to present us opportunities I think that the legislature typically likes uh, retired educators and trying to help them but the you know if you were to look at bills that are being pre-filed right now I haven't seen one yet that says, here's how we're going to solve the teacher retirement system unfunded liabilities and allow our retirees uh, an opportunity to get a raise. And that's, you know, that's where some acrimony may come in here is yeah. that, you know, we want to know this is going to get funded. Okay. A couple of follow-up questions. Another one from the text line. Going to put you on the spot again, Tim. Okay. Tim Lee, Texas retired. 
teachers, I want to ask you this. Association. I should put the association yeah. on there. Yeah. Um, uh, so is he saying that Matt Crow has not verbally accosted members of teacher retires? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I can't answer that for you. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I have to be honest. I don't have a relationship with Matt Crow. So, yeah, that's easy. Uh, a lot of people don't. Yeah. So let's switch over to yeah. this. And then, okay. um, at least not a beneficial relationship. Uh, let's switch over to. Do you feel like the new shift in the house gives you new ground, Tim Lee? That the the new house could under Dennis Bonin hear things in ways that they previously and and whenever I say the new house, hear me sure. say this. A lot of people who lean in a more moderate direction got reelected. Those who didn't did not. Those who barely got reelected, um on a on a more far right wing were barely reelected. Do you think you're gonna have a new hearing in the House coming up in the new legislature? Um, you know what, from a personal perspective, I think that anytime there's a shift in leadership, a shift in people that are in certain positions, you know, whether it's, you know, government or a private company, I think everybody has a, you know, a higher sensitivity to, you know, what can we do to help you? We've not had these same conversations with you at this level. So I think when, uh, you know, Speaker Bonin comes in and you have new chairs and you have new energy in that whole area, uh, I think it just opens itself to the to the possibility of of people saying, "Well, you know, can well, tell us what's going? Tell us what your issue is. How can we help you?" Well, who knows? You know exactly all of the help that we're going to get. We're going to be competing against a lot of different uh, interests and things that are important in the state. But the the bottom line, I think, for education in general is educators, by and large, turned out a much higher vote than what they had in previous elections, uh, or at least in recent memory. And I think that there is a, there's a great sensitivity uh, to, the, to the topic of education in general as we come into this next session, certainly from the perspective of property taxes and how we fund education and you know, what are the costs of education, the cost of employment for our schools. Uh, so all of these things are going to be talked about uh, and I and I do believe uh, that that TRS was a big issue during this election cycle with conservative Republicans, um, moderate Republicans, moderate Democrats, left leaning Democrats. I think you ran the gamut of people saying, "I hear on a regular basis we need to do better with teacher retirement system issue." And those folks are energized and they turned out to vote this time. And there's no reason for me to believe that they won't turn out again if things don't look like they're getting better tim lee if pe- folks want to find out more about uh, texas retired teachers where can you guide them uh we, obviously our website trta.org since we're a not-for-profit organization it's trta.org and then just uh you know social media world we're on twitter and facebook just search up texas retired teachers association there he is, Tim Lee. Thank you for making time, my friend. Oh, of course, it's fun. Thank you very it's much. Good to hear from you, right here on the program. Tim Lee, have a great weekend. We we'll look forward to hearing right, from you me. more in the next legislature. Pre- uh Tim Lee there, and 
cut him off abruptly. Kind of feel bad about that, but we got to go on and make this a commercial enterprise. We're going to get into our last segment here and uh, stick with us right here, other side. Uh, thank you for tuning in again uh, thank you for telling friends got uh good stuff coming up in your lubbock avalanche journal this weekend as well as your amarillo globe news going to try to meet the needs between those two markets and i think that we're able to do it because we're all west texacans uh went through on the program hope that you share it with friends my unabashed uh defense of agriculture american agriculture at least where we live in my own perspective on it i thought that was some good disclosure for you to understand why i vouch for it the way that i do am i an active farmer no do i know what it is to be an active farmer hell yes i do and it's um it's a tough gig and i think that not enough people behind microphones have an understanding of that they just talk on austrian economics and a bunch of other boo stooge that they want to talk about but i do want to thank my friend wade wilkes for having me on the show this morning you uh heard that earlier i want to thank tim lee for coming on the show next week you can expect the same quality that you get i can't tell you who all is going to be on because we wait till sunday to go out and get our guests but you can count on scott braddock corn report friend ross ramsey going to check in with one of my best buddies brandon darby who's on a flight right now couldn't join us today uh, but a whole lot of names that you need to be following and know as we talk about policy that matters the news views and issues of west texas at other side of texas on facebook other side of texas.com at ostx show there on twitter until then gonna get home gotta get home above average dinner great family waiting on me hope the same is true for you until next time rave on buddy rave on we'll see you right here on the other side of texas Step on the rain.